If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, if you have a house Bible and you get there, shout out the page number so the rest of us will know where to go. And I've asked Melissa to come up and read for us this morning. And she's reading a big chunk of scripture, so you need to admire her bravery. Melissa, thank you. She's actually going to start in Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read up to Colossians chapter 3. The sermon will start after lunch. No, I'm joking. Melissa. You can read it from that Bible, though. It's the same thing. Now, let me say this before you start reading. Okay. Uh, what we've been studying in Colossians, we've been going through this really verse by verse uh, because we want you to know that the Word of God is powerful and has application to our lives, and God speaks through it by the power of His Holy Spirit so that you can take what you're learning here and go into your own life and experience God teaching you through the Word. But what we've studied so far is really uh, Paul's been talking about you need to know who this Jesus is and you need to understand what He has done. That's really chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 3, we finally come to the point to where Paul is saying, now how do we respond to this remarkable Jesus who made all things, holds all things together? Remember we did the series on the universe, and, and he did all this redemptive work on the cross, and then he rose again. How do we respond to that? And that's what Melissa is about to read. This is part of the challenge of reading. We don't give you power. All you go to Carbs for Cause on April 23rd. That was a little plug there. So, okay. Wow, you really just took full advantage of being a reader, didn't you? Okay, okay. we'll allow that. Hello? Can you hear now? Okay. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Thank you. Excellent job. You're a phenomenal reader. A shameless plug for your event, though. Can we get the house lights on? Get somebody click on the halogens. That would be awesome. So we are in uh, we're in verse twelve. We're going to camp out in verse twelve for a few minutes this morning and try to unpack what Paul is talking about because we've been talking about for the last month or so. Uh, earlier in this chapter, Paul says we need to take these things off, 
And so we've been talking about what to take off, what to take off the old man. Now we finally have come to the part where we can put something on, which this is exciting because I want you to hear what Paul is saying. Is Paul is, is kind of like the what not to wear episode where Stacy and Clinton brings them into the, the room and they make fun of their clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Isn't that what not to wear? Okay, all right. I just thought maybe I got that wrong. So it's, anyway, all right, I'll talk about that show in a minute. But, you know, what's the first thing they do? They throw all their clothes in the trash can, right? They make fun of them. How could you wear that? You know, just gross, gross, gross. And then uh, they give them $5,000 and they say, now go shop. Now, let's be honest. How many of you uh, in this room would think uh, that would be absolutely glorious to be given $5,000 to go shop in New York? How many of you would see that as a living hell? All right, thank you. Actually, in the Greek, this put on is an imperative, which means that it is a command that Paul is actually saying, you've got to go shopping now, all right? And we need to put these things on. And let, let's think for a minute, because this is kind of fun. I mean, what do you think about before you go shopping? And I have to tell you, I have to admit that I'm one of those that if somebody gave me $5,000 and said go shopping, that would be a miserable experience for me, because I know that would probably take most of the morning to do that, you know? Because I'm a lousy shopper. I, I just have to be honest, you know, I don't know about you. Maybe you're a great shopper. I get suckered in by the sales, and I buy something that is kind of like, I like it, but it's a great price. And then I'll take it home and I'll never wear it, you know, but I got it for $5. But how lousy to have stuff in your closet that you're never going to wear or stuff that looked great in the store. But then when you get home, it looks like, what was I thinking? What was going through my mind, you know? So I'm a really a lousy shopper, but there are certain things that all of us think about when we go shopping. Like, when you're going shopping, you think about your style, don't you? What is your style? You know, are you a rock star? You know, are you, you know, are you dressing for, uh, are you pregnant? You know, are you dressing for work? Are you a professional? Do you work at McDonald's? You know, whatever it is, you're thinking about what is your style? We also think about what is our budget? How much money do we have to spend will often determine which store we're going to go to. And, you know, finally... And do you ever have to think about this? What is your size? You know, what is my style? What is my budget? And what is my size? And what's important about us thinking about that for a second is because at the very beginning of this passage, Paul addresses those things with us. Look at verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. There are three things there that he wants us to understand about ourselves before we ever talk about the clothes that we're going to put on. The first is he wants us to know that we're chosen. Now, I don't want to preach or challenge your thoughts or on whether or not you believe in predestination or maybe you don't believe in predestination, although this is literally translated the elected ones. And we can spend time another time thinking about that, but what I do want you to grasp is this. Whatever you believe about that, wherever you are in the position of election or predestination, we have to grapple with the fact that Paul put in this passage the word chosen. In other words, we have to deal with the fact that our God is an intentional God. That I like to think of him as a target God. That God, if you're in Christ this morning, God has intentionally focused his attention toward you. 
intentionally. When you look at all the Old Testament, you see it through the Old Testament. Israel, God intentionally, they were least among the nations, yet God chose them. Chose them what? To be his treasured possession. To be the ones that would receive his attention. Look at Moses or Abraham. Moses even said, God, I don't want the attention. Go away. You know, God said, no, I'm around. Abraham, David, we see it even in Jesus when he chose his disciples. Remember, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Our God is a target God. He's intentional with his affection. And it's important for us to stop just for a minute and think about that. Like, don't, let's just don't jump over that. How does that make you feel to think that God's intentional about his love toward you? That he chose you? I know we've all had this experience growing up where you're on the playground and you're about to play a game and so there are two team captains and they start picking, you know, who they want on their team. And have any of you had the experience of being the last one picked? A couple of you? Y'all are all winners. Wow. I have. You know, the worst thing about being picked last is it's never just being picked last. It's being picked last with humiliating comments like, well, I guess we'll take you <laughs> if we have to. Like, even though they think, you know, they're saying even it would be better for us not to have you on our team than to have you on our team. But isn't it glory? It's like full redemption when your best friend gets elected to be a team captain. Isn't it? Because you know that even if you can't even kick the ball, like if you can't even be in the same zip code with the ball when they roll it to you for kickball, you know your friend is going to pick you first. But, you know, if they love you more than they love winning, sometimes. <laughs> you know, there's that nervous, are they going to come through for me? And then, hey, they point to us like, yeah, we're the best. You know, and then you lose by 100 points, you know. But think about it for a minute. How... When, he, when your friend points the finger and says, you, what does that do for you? Paul is saying, God has pointed the finger toward you. He said, you know, there are great passages in Scripture. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, even before the creation of the world. How can that be possible? The second thing he said is, holy that we are holy, that his choosing not only just said, hey, I see you, but his choosing had this effectual work on our lives through what Christ did on the cross that made us holy. We are the ones that he has set apart. Hagos, we are the holy ones. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, and by that will, talking about the work of God, we've been made holy. Underline it. We have been made holy. Do you hear that? Did you wake up this morning and go, man, I am holy today. Woo! Get me a bagel. What does that mean to live in the reality of that? If you're in Christ today, you are holy. <laughs> we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ Listen to this powder keg. Once and for all. And then finally, 
Here's the third thing about who we are before we get dressed. We are, he doesn't use the word just love. We are the beloved. Isn't that beautiful? We're not just liked. We're not tolerated. We are loved, deeply loved. And what's amazing about this, if we look at the original language, all these three words are in the perfect passive, which that means is that perfect, it is finished. It is complete. There is nothing left to add to it. There's nothing that we can do to make these three things more true than they already are. They are complete, and they're passive in the sense that we are just simply recipients of them. I had nothing to do with this being true about me. There's nothing I could do that would make it happen. There's nothing I can do to undo what has happened. It is complete. It is finished. What did Christ do at the resurrection when he rose? He brought with him choosing holiness and love. That's our size. That's our style. That's our purpose. That's our budget. That we are to dress intentionally as those that have been intentionally loved, made holy, and deeply loved. That's who we are in Christ. Have you ever gone shopping for clothes in complete denial of your proper size? Have you ever done? I, mean, I could I could believe right now that I'm a 26 inch waist, and I would look great in straight leg jeans. I could live in that denial. And you know, the dressing room tells no lies, does it? <clears throat> Actually, I think I could probably get those jeans on. Uh, but I would only live until midnight. Because it, it, in reality, I, I wasn't made for that. I wasn't made for 26-inch waist jeans, no matter how, how many marathons I run. It ain't going to happen. Trust me. I'm not 10 anymore, all right? I'm not made for that. I'm made for something else. But, you know, in our culture, we is, immediately assume that what I'm made for, I'm ashamed of, that there's shame in who I am. And this passage here says, wait, no, no, no. Let's step out of the shame into the glory of what we were made for so that we can clothe ourselves in the attire that fits the identity of who we are in Christ. Did you get that? I said that fast. But I want you to get this because the clothes that he has made for us are not only beautiful, but they are appropriate and they fit us. And so what does he say dress ourselves in? Here it is. Here's your, here's your wardrobe. Compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So can we just take a few minutes and talk about these things, what they are and how we as a community, as individuals, begin to clothe ourselves in these things. The first is, you'll see it there in Colossians 3.12, is compassion. Now you may have, uh, you may have a different translation and your translation may say, if it's King James, it says the bowels of compassion. That sounds kind of gross, doesn't it? You know, you may have a version, the New English version, that may say the heart of compassion, which is a more literal translation. The Greeks used to believe that our emotions existed within our bowels, so the King James is really translating that literally, that we should allow not only our lives to make room for compassion, we should have heartfelt, deep feelings of compassion. Why? Well, if Christ is in us, the hope of glory, if we've been chosen and we've been made holy, meaning we are being made into the image of Christ, 
if we are his beloved and his love is changing us into his likeness, guys, our God is compassionate. If you go to Exodus chapter 34, don't go there. If you went there, let's just assume. Uh, what you would find is Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, you know? Big white beard, looks a lot like Charlton Heston. And he sees that the Israelites had committed the grave sin of creating an idol, a golden calf, and they're worshiping it, they're throwing a big party, you know, and getting crazy. And Moses becomes angry and throws the Ten Commandments down in indignation and shatters them. So what we find in 34 is God's bringing Moses back up on the mountain. He says, okay, let's do a redo. We're, we're going to make some more tablets here. And Moses is indignant, you know, and how could they? And, and listen to what the Lord says, because the Lord in this passage wants, he wants Moses to understand something about himself. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there, with him, meaning Moses, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he paused in front of Moses and he proclaimed this, the Lord, the Lord. Now, let me stop there because in light of what just happened with the Israelites, God could have described himself in any way he wanted to, wouldn't he? Couldn't he? Right? Listen to the language he chooses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Why does Paul want us to put on the heart of compassion? It's because it's the heart of our Father. It's the heart of God. It's His nature to be compassionate toward us. But let me say something, and this may be the most important thing that I say this morning. So hear this. You have got to slow down to be compassionate. People, you, you, you can't be compassionate and feel compassion on the run. You have got to slow down. This, this heart of compassion, it's the doorway. This is the gateway to the rest of the things that we're going to talk about. You have to slow down, and you have to intentionally make room in your life to feel compassion. See, I have to stop long enough to let compassion grow in my life. Why is that? Because it takes time for me to stop and see another person. It takes time for me to hear a story. It takes time for me to listen. It takes time for me to care. Have you ever talked to somebody that is a friend, and when you're talking to them, they never make eye contact with you because they're watching everything that's going on around in the room? And when you leave that conversation, don't you feel like they love me so much? No, because it takes concentrated, intentional energy for me to look at a friend and say, I care about what's going on in your life. Or I want to care about what's going on in your life. I want to have compassion for your story. If we go to the Good Samaritan, you'll find that in Luke chapter 10 if you want to go read that later today. This man is uh, robbed and he's beat up and he's left for dead on the highway and 
lots of people are on their way. Lots of religious people are on their way. And Jesus is telling the story. They pass by, they pass by, they pass by. But then this man who is a Samaritan sees him. He does two things in this passage. The first thing he does is he stops. And in his stopping, he had compassion on the man that was beaten and left him on the side of the road. Friends, we have to stop. We have to allow ourselves time to let ourselves become the part of someone else's story. Just like the Samaritan allowed himself time to become a part of somebody else's story. To feel his pain. To struggle with him. To even help meet his needs. And that stinks. Because this is inconvenient. It's time consuming. And it's costly. But this call from Paul is for us to be a people that is marked by the reality that we have the ability to be present in the moment with the people that God has put into our lives. That we can truly see what is happening right in front of us. But I promise you, if you do that, it's going to wreck your schedule. You're going to lose sleep because you're going to be serving people. You're going to lose time. You're going to lose money. And you should be aware right now the caution of feeling compassion for another person is going to mess up your life. You ever been on a mission trip? You know, what we call mission trip, where you intentionally go somewhere for two weeks. And I think the reason that they're so powerful is for the first time, maybe in your year, you stop long enough to turn off the phones, turn off the computers, turn off everything, and look at someone that's right in front of you. And have compassion to give room in your heart to care. You know, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but have you all met Jason? He sells the papers right out here. The homeless guy. Well, guess what? He's not homeless anymore. You know, a couple of weeks I was coming in and he came up to me. He goes, Pastor, Pastor, please tell everybody thank you. So I'm telling all of you thank you for Jason. Because through your efforts of buying his paper, he's now in a home. And he now has a roof over his head. He's eating regularly. And uh, God is working in his life. He said, man, the Lord is good. Is he in here? Jason, you in here? He, there he is. <laughs> and trust me, God is messing up Jason's life. Because he still goes down to Tent City and spends the night with his friends down there to love and care for them and asked me to pray for one of them this morning as we were coming in. When you experience compassion from the Lord, and you see God working in your life, and you make time to look for where God is working in other people's lives, it is going to mess up your schedule. I promise you. And here, I've got to say this, all right? The very first step of making room for compassion in your heart is often having compassion for yourself. And sometimes we have to be gentle and compassionate with ourselves. Except in our lives that things can be hard. That's okay. That the journey may be a huge struggle. That's okay. That you don't have it all together and that you need other people in your life to help you. That's okay. Compassion sometimes starts right in front of the mirror where you give yourself compassion. But if you do that, hang on. And let's run through the rest. Because when we stop long enough 
to become people of intentional compassion. I'm intentionally going to stop long enough to see the story that God is writing in the lives of people around me, and I'm going to care about that. It always leads to action. And what action does it lead to? Well, the next list. It leads to kindness. Mother Teresa said, Let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, kindness in your smile. Isn't that beautiful? When we extend our lives in other stories, we can't help but be kind to care about their story, to comfort them in their story, to support them in their story, to believe in them. Like, I love the Olympics. Uh, if you ever watch the Olympics, you know, and, you know, they've got somebody up in the blocks that are about to come down the slopes, and, you know, it's Sven from Svenville or whatever, you know, and we have no idea who he is, you know, and we're just like, oh, okay, we're getting ready to change the channel, and then ABC, is it ABC? Okay, ABC does it to us. Let's go behind the story and get to know Sven from Svenville. You know, and it turns out like he grew up poor, you know, and hungry and in the desert. And he just dreamed of snow one day and skiing. And he learned how to ski on the dunes in his backyard with like two by four strapped to his feet. And his mother cheering him on, you know, you can do it, Sven, you know. And then when it cuts back to him in the gate and the client, you're like, you're crying. And you're like, go, Sven, you can do it. Why? Because they know something Paul knows. When we make room in our lives for people's story, we step in with kindness. Why? Because that's the way we were made, man. We got the thumbprint of God on us. He calls us to that. It's beautiful. The next thing that Paul lists in his list is humility. Right in the middle of all these action verbs, we find Paul stopping and saying humility. And why would he do that? He's bringing us right back once again to our view of ourselves and how critical it is for us to have compassion on ourselves and our understanding of who we are as we step through the dangerous doors of compassion and kindness. And we'll talk about gentleness in just a second. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Okay, Paul, that's enough. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Foolish, weak despised, lowly, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Know who you are. This is important. This is really important because if I know, man, I'm not all that, but he is all that, and he that is all that is with me that is not all that, and he celebrates me, then I can step into other people's not all that. Amen. Think about that. Have you ever had the moment where you're with somebody, and they say to you, you say to them, how you doing? And they go, eh, great. 
what is that? You're like, this, this thing jumps in your heart, and you're like, you get sweaty palms. Like, do I go, well, what was that about? You know, is that a window that they're asking me to crawl through to ask them, are you really okay? Like, that didn't sound too great, you know? And have you ever kind of backpedaled and really stepped away from that open door in somebody's life, thinking that, you know, I don't have time for this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. What if they pour out their heart? What if they start crying? Like, what if they need something? And we become afraid and thinking that maybe we can't give it. But Paul is saying when we know where we've come from and we know the one to whom we belong and the one that is with us, it gives us courage without false pride to say to other people, I understand, I've been there, you're not alone and I care about what's happening in your story. Then we go on to gentleness. It's amazing. This actual word is, is meekness. It's not weakness. Meekness is actually great strength and power under control. I can't help but think of the great illustration that was a couple of weeks ago during the NCAA tournament when the West Virginia coach, maybe you know him, Bob Huggins, his key player, who were they playing when his key player went down? What school is that? All right, Duke. All right. That was that school. And uh, and his key player blew out his knee, and he's laying on the ground, and he's, did you see this? And he's just flopping. And Bob Huggins, you got to understand, he's like the coal miner coach. You know, he's the coach that is hard and driving and is always under critical analysis by commentators, and people question his means, you know, and they say he has a foul mouth and all this other stuff. And he comes out on the floor And he doesn't just stand over his player and, you know, he gets down on his hands and his knees. And he he almost lays on the basketball floor. Did you see this? And he pulled this player's face like this close to his face and began to whisper to him. Now, I don't know what he was saying. I mean, maybe you found out. Tell me afterwards. I don't know. But the thing that moved me the most was not trying to imagine the words that he was saying. It was two things. He was absolutely, he could care less about how much time this was taking. Like he spent like three or four minutes in in this kid's face. Because it seemed like everything else just kind of fell apart. That's a heart of compassion, isn't it? And all that mattered was right here. And there was one other thing that, that deeply moved me when I watched this. It was his thumb. Did you see that? The whole time he was talking to him, he was caressing the side of his kid's head with his thumb. Such gentleness. You know, I see that and I realize that it's holy ground when someone invites me into the pain of their life. When someone finally creaks open that door because I've had a heart of compassion for them and they they say, okay, come in. And when we walk in, guys, we've got to be gentle. I mean, this is sunburned turf. We don't come in with aloe, and we don't slap aloe onto people's sunburns. Well, some of you do, but only when it's a guy's weekend, right? We, we come in because we know even the salve, even the salve can hurt if it's not applied with gentleness. Isn't it true? So when we have an invitation from others, to, to come into that holy place, 
We've got to be gentle. In Philippians 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to everybody around you. Isn't that beautiful? The mark of who we are in Christ and Him living in me and living out of me will show itself in gentleness. When we have compassion, when we show kindness, when we walk in humility, the hearts of others are open, and when they open, friends, that's holy ground. Please walk in gentleness. And finally, please be patient. I'm out of time, so this is all I'm going to say about that. And you can write this down because it is true that it's true that it's true that it's true. Love is never efficient. But it is always effective. So, will you slow down? Will you? Will you slow down enough to see? And when you see, will you make room to be intentionally compassionate? for those around you in your life because God has been compassionate to you. What's crazy is that the Lord is kind of tricky, all right? And I'm, he, he's the ultimate judo master. You know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the, the judo of the gospel. God is kind of judo because he knows that when we walk in these things, we get more out of them than we ever gave to them. That when I allow the compassion of the Lord to flow through me and I am compassionate with myself and I make room to be compassionate with other people and I'm walking in kindness and gentleness and I'm taking on a whole new understanding of myself and humility, you know, and meekness, power under control, you know. And I start to experience something that is more profound for me than it is for anybody that's the recipient of those things around me. I'll close with this. You know, uh, a few years back, I was with a group of friends, and we were in Jamaica for a couple of weeks. Some of you have heard this story before. It's appropriate. And we went there to work in a children's home. It was actually Johnny Cash's SOS children's home. So we dressed all in black. And uh, so we'd show up every day, and these kids would just come from nowhere. Like, they would just pile onto this soccer field. And every day, the kids in the community would hear that we're there and we're playing games and painting, and there's candy and stuff. And so the numbers kept growing. <clears throat> but from the very first day, there was this little kid, like two years old, that would just show up out of nowhere, you know, and real bow-legged and would just come running across the field and uh, had nothing on but a diaper, you know. We never saw a mom. We never saw a dad. We never saw a big brother. Big, we didn't, like, he came out of a bush or something, you know? And he'd just come across the field. And so, like, the third day in, uh, this kid came running across the field, but his diaper was dragging behind him. Not because it didn't fit. He was carrying an extra load. I mean, it was, like, bad. And, you know, our hearts just went out to this kid every day. And just, as, as, you know, the other kids couldn't tell us who he was. And we're like, man, this kid's like all alone. Like, man, our hearts just start, you know, and everybody just wanted to love on this kid and be gentle with him and just show him just kindness and all this stuff. But when he came up there with a dirty diaper, no one wanted to have anything to do with him. And so they looked at me and go, you're the leader, you take care of it. So I delegated that responsibility to, 
Dadgummit, that just showed what little authority I had in our group. You guys said, no, no, fire me. I don't care. I'm not touching it. So I, I, you know, take the little kid to the bathroom, and I place him in the sink, and I turn the water on, and I remove the diaper, and only a parent can appreciate. Uh, wow, I could say some really bad stuff right now, and I'm going to dodge that. It was bad. It was like a, I had to leave the bathroom like three times just to get some fresh air and do the gag, you know? And really, I got, I went outside the third time, and I'm honest with you. I was like, I, I don't care he's a two-year-old kid. I don't want to go back in there, literally. And so I look in there, and he's sitting in the sink just waiting for me to come back in. And my heart was shattered because the Holy Spirit came and said, when you do this unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And I'm like, wow. And then he said, because I did it to you. When you were lost in the crap of your own life, I chose you. I cleaned you and I made you holy. And I held you up to the world and said, behold, my beloved. Wear the garments of the royalty that you've been called into and go back in that bathroom. I walked back in that bathroom. And I'm not joking with you. It became worship to clean this little boy. It was like, glory to you, Father. For he may be getting a bath out of a deal, but I'm getting a renewal of my heart and a closeness to you that is changing my life forever. So Midtown, wear the robes that God has made you. He has called you to it. You were made to fit in those robes. You were uniquely customized for the robe of his glory and the righteousness of Christ. All right? Let's pray. Lord, it's a dangerous sermon to preach, I know, because if we leave here this morning, if we leave here and we make room to let our hearts feel compassion, wow. Changes, Father. Help us to set our eyes on what is unseen because we know that's eternal. And let us live for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.